All right, our scripture reading today is the Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. The words are on the screen. Oh, I should have said 21 to 33. All right, listen to the first verse, then I'll read from the screen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I can read from a book, I am capable, so maybe I should do that. I'll start over so you get the whole piece. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. a passcode for this so you guys can shout it out from the booth or come help me or stick my next slide up there i know what my first slide is so while they're figuring that out um say again all right everyone forget that now no it needs two more though and again six nine no <laughs> that's fun no, it was right there, right until I picked it up, so it's my fault. I touched it and it locked. Oh, I see. You can get it to where I need it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it's on wedding season right now. Perfect. All right, wedding season. As I said, it's wedding season, which means I'm doing a number of weddings the next couple of weeks. And when I do weddings with people, I give them, unless they already have a wedding text, I give them a whole list of commonly used wedding texts and even some more interesting wedding texts. And then I tell them, feel free not to use any of these because I've done most of them, that's why they're on here. Feel free to have a, a newer and different and interesting one. On that list is of course Ephesians 5 because it's one of the very few passages in the Bible that's actually about weddings and marriage and nobody ever picks it. You probably know why. The back of our hymnal has a set of um, uh, vows in it which are based on Ephesians 5 and nobody uses those. We have a serious discomfort with Ephesians 5. I want to suggest to you, and I want to walk you through this passage in such a way that I hope alleviates some of that discomfort, because I think Ephesians 5 is brilliant, right? We just need to re-understand exactly what it's all about. Can someone give me my next slide, please? So the letter to Ephesus, 
Most of us, when we read the letter to Ephesus, what we know about the letter to Ephesus is it comes near Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians, which is reasonably unhelpful, right? When you learn about the Bible, you learn the order of the books, so you memorize them so you know how to find them. But do you know anything about Ephesus? For example, that in Ephesus, there is one of the eight wonders of the ancient world called the Temple of Artemis. And Artemis was a Greek goddess. And you saw at the, uh, yeah, there, you see a picture of Artemis, which Alice nicely found for me. But here's the thing. This is Artemis, the Greek goddess of the hunt. Right? You see, she has a stag and she has uh, arrows, a quiver of arrows on her back. Right? She's the goddess of hunting. The Ephesians version of Artemis is the goddess of love and fertility. So it's a different kind of Artemis. I'm not going to show a picture to, of her to you because it's a little bit on the edge. Let's just say that. Um, or maybe over that edge. So when you think of Artemis, if you just look up Artemis, you're going to get this Artemis. When you need the Ephesian Artemis, you need to understand that there's a whole local culture around the worship of that goddess, and they were the headquarters of Artemis because they had the world wonder-sized temple to her. It's sort of like the way you can say you're Reformed, right? And in the Niagara region, you can say you're Reformed, but are you Christian Reformed or United Reformed or one of these Reformed or those Reformed? And there's a whole variety of ways that we connect with God. You can say you're Christian and there's an even greater range Right? You can say you're a worshiper of Artemis, and someone would have, have to ask, Ephesian Artemis or Greek Artemis? Okay? So, this Artemis, let me see where we are. Yep, we'll start there. So, the verse that I didn't ask them to put on the screen, but is essential to this whole passage, is verse 21, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because the whole letter to the Ephesians, by the way, is Paul saying, We Jewish people... And you um, Gentile people, we're all called in different ways, but we're all called to follow in Christ together. We're called to unity. And if we're going to be united, we've got to figure out how does that work. And so after having the first half of the book or so talk about how that unity works in Christ, he wants to say, here's some very specific ways in a whole bunch of different relationships. Today we're going to talk about husband and wife um, and specific relationships on how to work on that. But the bottom line in all of those things is mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if you don't understand this line, you can't understand the rest of the stuff when he talks specifically to wives and specifically to husbands. So this is our starting point. So now, how would an Artemis worshiper or Artemis worshipers hear this? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So you can imagine... Artemis, as a female goddess, her, um, her pastors, if you will, were priestesses, which meant that the ruling class in, in Ephesus, the religious ruling class anyways, were all female. Women had the power in the culture of Ephesus, right? This would have been strange to Paul, right? And so as he comes there, he's bumping into a world where um, women have the authority and they get to do as they see fit. And so he says to them, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Right? So trying to keep this PG, but if a goddess is the goddess of love and fertility, then the rituals get a little bit, again, far beyond the boundaries of what we're allowed to talk about here. 
right? And so when he says, submit to your own husbands, he's basically saying, stay within the bounds of your relationship with your husbands. That's the starting point, right? That's how they would hear that. And then in this Artemis um, worship, there was a festival every year. And in the festival, they would take the Greek goddess Artemis, which would be a statue. Can't imagine this, but they did this. So they carried the statue down to the waterfront. And there they did a ritual cleansing. And the idea was that she would return to her pure original state, if you understand what I'm talking about, right? They would return her to that state, and then they would party in such a way that, that everything got all messed up again back on the way up the hill. I'm not sure exactly what they thought they were accomplishing, but this is what they did as part of their Artemis festival worship. They went to the water, remember that, right? And washed her clean back to her purified state. Well, then read this. How might they hear this? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And look at this. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, I think what Paul was doing here was he was taking their context where he knew they did this annual ritual washing and he's saying, Jesus has a washing, but it's not an annual ritual, and you don't mess everything up back on your way back up the hill. This is a, a, a cleansing where Christ says, in my love for you, I'm going to cleanse you and then keep you pure and blameless and holy as I present, yourself, I present you to myself in this world. Okay? And so it's in that context that Paul has this discussion Sorry, this thing's giving me a little bit of trouble. Yeah, we went one too far, didn't we? Can you back me up, please? Yes, there you go. What is the difference between submit and love? So, as I've said, I, I give a list of passages to prospective marriage couples. Um, I once did a wedding for people. They basically called me out of the phone book, if you will, and said, will you do our wedding? And I said, that's interesting. Why don't you come in and talk? And I made it very clear. I do Christian weddings. That's all I know how to do, and that's what I believe, and so that's how I do this. They weren't convicted, though they had some interest. I've never had more pre-marriage conversations than I did with this couple. They were so interested in everything we talked about. And then I showed them the vows, and I showed them Ephesians 5, and they said, we love that. And I said, excuse me? I said, I can't get anybody in the church to use this passage. And she was, if I may give her a lip, she was a feminist. There's just no doubt about it. And she loved the submit path. I said, tell me what you're reading. Because people in the church hear submit and they think someone being pushed down and, and, and stepped on and, and controlled. And she says, submit is just the same as love. I thought, Isn't that interesting that our conversations, in my experience from the 90s when churches were splitting over women in leadership and all those kinds of questions, has screwed up, if you will, our understanding of the word submit. But this woman who had no journey with us had no problem with the word submit and submitting to her husband. She says, it looks to me like that's a lot like loving. And I thought, I'm going to take that to the bank and share that with people. So submit for me, when, when I was in school and I would write a paper, I would make a title page and I would say, submitted by Eric Schuringer. 
And submit, of course, then means given by, produced by, and given to, right? Submission does certainly have the connotation of you're beneath and you're being controlled and you're being overpowered, right? But in this context, I want to suggest to you that it leans more in the sense of I'm giving myself to you, right? And most vows that I see and, and encourage people to use nowadays, I, Eric, give myself to you, Ruth Ann. It's a gift of myself and, and vice versa, right? There is a difference between love and submit, and we'll get a little bit more into that in, in a little while, right? But it's not this submit is to be put down and love is this whole other kind of a thing. However, look at this. I think this connects with love your neighbor as yourself. Again, the great commandment, which we've been looking at over and over again, sort of the interpretive key to the Bible. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, because he who loves his wife loves himself, right? There's this sense of love your neighbor, love your spouse as you love yourself, because that is the rock bottom law from God on how to get along with other people. It also applies to marriage. Most wedding texts, by the way, are applied to the church, but we just specifically apply them in the moment um, to ourselves. And then this piece. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. Jesus also quotes this. This is a very important understanding. And then Paul writes, this is a profound mystery. Now, I want to clarify in case you're getting this wrong, that the profound mystery is not that a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. That's very understandable. The profound mystery part of it is that the two become one flesh, right? And this is so essential to our understanding of what marriage is, and yet, as Paul says, it's, it's difficult. It's a profound mystery that somehow two people in becoming united in marriage are one such that to separate them will hurt both of them. And, and anyone who's gone through marriage difficulty, separation, or divorce has experienced that, that sort of tearing apart that hurts both souls, both lives, right? But this profound mystery also helps us understand this, that this idea, this art of love and submission, if you will, this art of being a married couple is a complicated and profound thing that really requires God's presence and his love and his ability to be there with you, right? We don't get married in and of our own strengths. We get married understanding that there's something that goes on here um, that's profound and beyond our simple understanding. It's that journey of the marriage then where we try and figure out what is this mystery? How does that work out? What does that look like for us in particular on that journey? Striking also in this passage, if I may, is that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And yet the Jewish idea of marriage preparation is that the son starts building a room on the back of the parent's house. And so his idea of leaving his parents is moving to a room at the back of the house, right, and bringing his bride into that space. So I was just struck by the fact that in the Jewish culture, they would have this sort of language. Now, notice that verse 32 starts, this is a profound mystery. And I'm going to show you the rest of verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I don't know about you, but I thought all along Paul was talking about marriage here. But when he gets to the end, he says, no, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. This is a profound mystery, this marriage thing. And I think what he's trying to lean us to is, 
What I want you to know above all else, as you submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, as you try and figure that out with wives and husbands submitting and loving, that the core thing is that you as the body of Christ are submitted in love to him. So sometimes people struggle, and maybe some of you do as well, with female leadership in the church. And I want to suggest to you that the Bible is very clear about male leadership in the church, and that male is called Jesus Christ, right? I'm not the leader of the church. I submit to Jesus Christ, just as Ephesians 5 tells me to. Any female who leads in the church submits to Jesus Christ, just as Ephesians 5 tells her to, right? It seems to me that it was always the craziest conversation we were having about who has power in the church. The church isn't about power. It's about submission and love, not control and power. And so the church has always been under the loving, submissive power and leadership of Jesus Christ. Because this is a profound mystery, how we get along. But Paul is saying... It's really, ultimately, finally, about Christ and the church. Everybody submits to Christ, and then everybody will figure out how to move along forward together in their relationships. And then one more thing strikes about this passage, which can be challenging. So what is the woman not told to do in this entire passage? So I'm going to read this verse, and this is a question. So what's one thing the woman is never told to do in all of Ephesians 5, 21 to 33? However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Was the woman never told to do? Anyone? Right. I got no answer for that, so you want to come up and also give us a little more information? No? Okay, just curious. That's why you drink water when you don't have nothing to say anymore. So... Why do you think that is? Why are women not required to love? And so now if you're going to become a legalist or a strict literalist in your reading of the Bible, which I'm not, I like to read it in context. I keep pointing out context because you need to know the context to actually understand what they're saying. If I write a letter to you, sir, that's different than if I write a letter to you, ma'am, right? There's a context to it. Paul's context, of course, is he's Jewish. Right? Read all the laws in Leviticus 18, which are the sexuality laws. They all talk to men. Right? The Bible was not written to North America in 2022, where we have people working as individuals. We're very individualistic. Right? What we did today, professing our faith together with Ashley, that's crazy for North America. We can't do that with her. She's got to do that for herself. That's North America. The Bible, usually when it says you, it's not talking about you. It's talking about you. And so in the, and in the Bible context, in Paul's context, that's why Ephesians was, Ephesus is a hard place for him. He lived in a patriarchal society. We can accept that. It's just a fact. We are not a patriarchal society, at least most of us aren't, as I experience it. We need to figure out then, well, what does the Bible say to us? And I want to suggest to you, that in our context, verse 21 is key, as I said at the beginning, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's biblical, it's key. In that context, we've got to figure out what does love and submit and head and being a follower of Christ mean for us? 
And that might take some challenge. And as you probably know, different people are going to land in different places with that. But I will suggest to you this. Even if you take the most traditional, if you will, or conservative position on this, the passage never says, husbands, get your wife to submit. It says, wives, you choose to submit. It doesn't say, wives, tell your husband to love you. It says, husbands, you love. And sometimes most of us, in my experience, are a little more offended by the submit side of things. But what is Paul saying to the husbands when he says love? As Christ did, sacrificing and laying down your life. And so I would say to any man who thinks that they have a headship right out of this passage, when you have loved like Jesus to the point of death, at that point, ironically, you now have the right to say to your wife, to anybody, you must now submit to me. Paul's not telling you who you have power over, who you have control over. Paul is telling you who you are to love and submit to and how you are to serve in the ultimate path possible way. When we follow Jesus Christ, it's never about our power and authority. It's not a whole bunch of rules. It's Jesus saying, I've shown you the way of love. I've shown you what it means to submit. I submitted my body to the cross. And whatever relationship and wherever we go, that's what Christ is calling us into as well. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you walked this earth and you taught us and you showed us the way, particularly on the cross. And we pray that as we walk this earth now in the relationships that we have here in this context, that we may have wisdom and your spirit to help us understand what your word says to us today, and that we may follow faithfully and with all the energy that we have. Lord, bless us as we go. Bless our relationships in marriage and family and community as singles. May we all experience the fullness of what it means to follow you. And this we pray in your holy name. Amen.